The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome to The Howler. Your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Chris Lehman and Drew Blevins. Welcome back to another edition of The Howler. Drew Blevins alongside Chris Lehman. You're about to be given the state of Wolfpack Athletics. And as always, we are joined in our first segment by a very special guest. And today that is Chris Demarest, an assistant coach on the NC State men's lacrosse team. Coach, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing well. So... You know, I think an appropriate place to start is to go back a couple of weeks, and if you want to see anything that could possibly go wrong in a lacrosse game from a weather delay to the lights going out, it was that Buffalo game. And Buffalo was a very solid team coach. How do you prepare for when they make their spring break road trip uh, down to North Carolina and you get to see a a good bit of Northern competition? Yeah, we actually, um, this is the second year we've played them, um, they nipped us by a goal last year, and they always seem to come down on the Monday after we get back from spring break. So we have to wrestle the troops back into uh, lacrosse mode and, and get them going. Uh, this year was a nightmare, I'm sure. You guys you guys were there, played over two days through thunder and lightning storms and all that kind of good stuff. That was, that was a mess. But, uh, yeah, no, they're great competition. They actually uh, – they're a real dedicated team. They have uh, their gym space – they get from 11 at night to 1 in the morning until the snow melts off the field. So those kids are 100% dedicated to uh, to the sport, which is great. I mean, we love that kind of stuff. We love playing teams that are serious about it. So, uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about how practice works uh, with your team. What do you guys do with practice? Uh, because I think a lot of our listeners don't know quite as much about lacrosse as a lot of other sports. What do you practice uh, specifically and exactly what is the strategy out there in terms of offense and defensively? Sure. Uh, so practice is really, uh, you know, general warm-up, stretching, getting loose kind of stuff for the first 20, 25 minutes. Uh, then we really start breaking down either individual skill sets or uh, team sets. So we'll work on, you know, what does it look like to uh, just one special part of a play? Or we'll, we'll work on running a man-down situation where we have a penalty, and we'll run that if we are the team with the penalty or the team who's, you know, just awarded the penalty. So either one will run, we'll, we'll run that scenario over and over because those – those those things can really sway the game, and then you know a lot of a lot of practice we'll just we'll kind of rip it. We got we got plenty of guys, and we'll go we'll split it up for inter squad scrimmage. We're joined by Chris Demarest, the assistant coach for NC State men's lacrosse, over the phone. Coach lacrosse in North Carolina historically hasn't always been here. In fact, it's been over the past twenty years that it's really gained a lot of popularity. What can you contribute to lacrosse becoming an ever more popular sport in the South? Yeah, it's it is really growing. It's probably where uh, I'm from, New Jersey, and it's probably where New Jersey was about 20 years ago. Um, about 40, 50 teams when I was in high school, um, and I think that's where North Carolina was. Kind of is just kind of, and that is just absolutely exploding. I think there's 200 plus teams in the state now, um, and it's just they they actually can't get lacrosse coaches fast enough. Um, we have started see, even just the four years I've been here at state. Uh, one, two, three people outside of family members, you know, showing up to game. And now, you know, now we're getting, you know, on a nice day on a, on a weekend, you know, there'll be a hundred, 150 people there, which is a much bigger crowds than we've ever seen. And then even when we travel on the road, even deeper South, some of your Florida's and Georgia's and things like that, you're just seeing it explode. So yeah, it's, it's a fast game. And I think, honestly, I, not to knock it, but I think people are tired of playing in right field and, you know, sitting there watching two guys throw a ball back and forth. They want to get out there and, and really just play. Okay, so. well, there are some really good Division One programs in this area as well. Uh, most notably, you see Duke and North Carolina very good pretty much year in and year out. What is it like being a club team at NC State when the rival schools have big Division One programs? Is there any kind of interaction there? Uh, the, the coaching staffs bump into each other uh, just more around the North Carolina scene. Uh, I don't think the uh, the players, we actually go over and play there. It's kind of staggered. So the D1 level uh, where they're at, the UNC and Duke teams are, 
you know, head and shoulders above where we are. And then we'll play the Duke and UNC club teams and we're kind of head and shoulders above where they are. So it's a good, you know, it, it, we, we go over, we get to see the campuses, do all that kind of good stuff. But, you know, they're, it's, they're very different programs. You know, there's, there's 50 guys, seven or eight coaches funding out the nose, you know, where it's me and coach Thurston and, you know, a field that may or may not have the biggest stand pit, uh, on it of any NC state field. So yeah, it's a little different, but we, you know, it, it, it's drawing into the area. Um, for, I can tell you for the, for one of the first times I've seen it is, uh, the kids on Carolina are actually from Carolina. That was not the case. I can't tell you how many kids I went to high school with, played ball with, that came down and played on Carolina and Duke. They were all New Jersey kids, Long Island kids, Maryland kids, and now they're actually a lot of them are actually from North Carolina. So is there that's, is that's, there that's, ever a day where you could see NC State regaining an NCAA Division One collegiate lacrosse team, or is that still a little too far off in the future to even think about? Uh, you know, ECU women's just became varsity. Um, so it is definitely growing in popularity. I'm pretty sure the current athletic director is not a big proponent of that. She's kind of said that a lot. And so I don't see that coming down the pike for us anytime soon. Um, I definitely see it as, I mean, it's ready. It's there. The ACC is got at one point, they were five out of the top six in the country. So it's not like there, there's any slack competition around here. So, you know, there's, it's, they're not, they're not, half in, half out. They're definitely the powerhouses. Uh, I would probably see it, you know, more down the line. We'd probably go with men and women at the same time. Uh, would probably make make the most sense, especially with Title IX and scholarships, the way all that works. Okay, Coach, uh, I want to shift gears a little bit here and talk about you personally. How did you get into the sport of lacrosse? I know you're from New Jersey and up north. It's, it's much more popular. But how did you mm-hmm. get into the sport? And how did you end up here at NC State as a coach on this team? Uh, just, it, it, you know, tons of my friends and family, you know, all, everybody around me was kind of, kind of a, a go-to, you know, you, you went from football to basketball to lacrosse and some guys played soccer and some guys played, you know, baseball and we didn't hold it against them, but you know, that was, that's kind of like, that's what we got, you know, most guys did. There's a lot of, there's a lot more middle school teams, travel teams, things all like that up. Up north, so it was really it was much more normal to bump into things like that. Uh, all the small colleges, things like that, have it up up north. So, uh, and it's just you know, again, like it is, it's it's probably now right where North Carolina is. So, I can't tell you how many we have a hundred, hundred and fifty kids that come in every year and say, "Hey, I'm coming in from North Carolina. I'm really excited to play, but I've only been playing for two years and I'm on the varsity team." Things like that. So. Uh, for me to come down, I actually, uh, if you want to mute this, uh, I married a Tar Heel. So she brought me down um, from, we were actually living in Boston at the time. So she's from, she's actually from the mountains right next to um, Western Carolina. She lives in Silva. Uh, but she was, she grew up in the, uh, what's called in the Triangle, love the area. We both got some family here. So we uh, decided to move down in 2012 and, Actually, it was the weekend of, I got back from my honeymoon, landed at RDU, and came and watched a lacrosse game uh, before we caught our flight back to Boston and talked to the coach and kind of set everything up even before I moved down here and had office space. So I was, I was pretty excited about it. So for you personally, what is the major draw of the sport of lacrosse that makes it so attractive? Is it the physicality? Is it the speed? Or is it the strategy? You know, it's a combination of the speed and you can always you can always outwork somebody. It doesn't matter how big they are, how smart they are, how anything. They, you know, there's no they could be the pinnacle of the sport, but if you had a kid who doesn't know what he's doing, he's doing 100 miles an hour, he can still dig out that ground ball. You know, and we, you know, I I feel like that that kind of kid, I I'd be happy to coach all day long. You know, it's not it's not your fault your high school didn't have a great team or your high school, but if you're any kind of an athlete and you want to work hard, we can turn you into a lacrosse player. That's not, that's not the hard part. The hard part is finding, you know, the, the, the dog with the fight inside. And that's, that's hard. That's much harder, especially college. I mean, it's not, you know, there's, there's a combination. I, I've recruited kids and they've come to college at the other schools that I've worked at that. It was, 
you know, they're here to be lacrosse players. None of my guys are here to be lacrosse players. They're here to be engineers and doctors and all these other things. And I got to drag, I got to try to drag that out of them as much as I can. And, you know, some kids, you know, need to drag it out of them. Some kids are there every day working hard, you know, no question. And then other kids, you know, you got to, you got to turn them up from a seven to a 10 and try to get them, you know, on the field fighting. So. so what kind of coaching style do you employ in, in trying to do that? Obviously, you guys like to have, have that relentless mentality, hardworking mentality. Uh, what approach do you take as a coach to try and get that out of your players? Yeah, you try to everybody, – everybody's a little different. Um, there's definitely some – there's definitely some team mentality that you have to instill in everybody. Everybody's got to be pulling towards a common goal or pulling towards, you know, a bigger picture. But some guys – you know, some guys you got to pull them aside and just chew them out. Some guys you got to pull them out aside and talk to them gently because you know if you get up in their face, they're going to be a head case and they're, they're, you'll break it down even worse. So it really is. It really is player to player. Um, the mentality is definitely go 100 miles an hour. That is that is the the team message. Everybody knows that. And you know this team in particular, the. Um, the seniors on this team actually have never had a losing season. Um, there's only four, three or four of them that have been here the whole time. There's six seniors, but only three or four have been here the entire four years. And that, that's been a core. Um, these guys have fought and fought and fought. And they were the year before they came in, they were three and eight. And, you know, their senior year of high school, they're watching the team get beat up and a bunch of kids quit and all this other kind of stuff. And they really rejuvenated the program. And, you know, those core guys are the leaders on the team now. So, you know, it's been a, definitely a big culture shift um, in the last three or four years, and for the positive, I think. We're joined by Chris Demarest, NC State's men's lacrosse assistant coach. Coach, can you talk about what's coming down the pipe here for NC State lacrosse in the schedule-wise? Obviously, the Buffalo game has gone by. You laid the wood to East Carolina. But there are a couple of intriguing opponents that are going to make their way to Raleigh here very shortly. Yeah, we got a back-to-back this weekend. Um, Saturday is Clemson. They are. That's a that's a conference game, a division game actually. Um, and if we can tackle that one, we will have swept the conference for the first time I think ever as a program. So that's a big one. Um, coach over there is actually a Rutgers alumni as well, so he's a great guy. Um, graduated 30 years exactly before I did, so he'd like to let me remind me of that. Um, but they're uh, they're a very good team. They kind of go up and down. They've had a rough start this year, but they played a bunch of really good teams. So um, historically, they we've kind of split time with them back and forth, win loss, win loss. So we'll be looking for them. And uh, Saturday, uh, Sunday is going to be George Washington here. That's our senior day. That's uh, we should we should be we should be all right with that one. Uh, they they play, they have a tough schedule. They play in a really uh, tough part of the conference, but uh, you know. George Washington's a very good school. They've got uh, kids with a lot of other commitments and things like that. And that's I've, we've talked to the coach. They, they kind of have that going on. So it depends really who shows up out there. If they get the whole team there, you know, it'll be much more of a game versus sometimes they they travel light. So yeah, it's a different different level of commitment I think on, on their team versus ours. But they're uh, they're definitely the kids that show up are out there to fight. So we we always we always show up for every game. Now. Well, what kind of postseason action is there for your team? Obviously, this season comes up to an end very close towards the end of the school year. Is there any kind of postseason play for this team? Yeah, there is. We actually have already clinched a playoff spot, which is awesome. Um, we, we, I don't think we've ever clinched it as early as we did when we beat East Carolina. Uh, that put us 3-0. and And I think the only team that can uh, – one of the other teams has to go at least can only go three and one, which is the worst we can do. Um, so if it's South Carolina, we've got them on head to head, and where we win the, we will go in the, as number one seed. Um, if it's Clemson goes through and sweeps, uh, then it'll be we'll be the number two if we lose to them. All this kind of, but we're in, which is kind of nice to. We don't rest on it, but it's a it's a big weight off. It's we've punched the ticket the last two years, and this will be the third year in a row. Um, we had never gone back to back, so three peat is definitely a, uh, you know, definitely something we're excited about. So, as you do look down the pipe and what what is coming for NC State lacrosse, what is your major measuring stick compared to what you're looking at in conference play? Who 
who is the number one school that you're trying to match up with in your schedule and really across the nationwide rankings? Well, so our big, um, the big one right now, I believe, in our conference is Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, I believe, is number, I think they're number two in the country right now. Uh, yeah, I'm actually just pulling up the poll right here. And uh, not too far down the list is Liberty, uh, and there's, or Virginia Tech, excuse me, uh, number 14. And so what happens with our, the way our conference schedule works out, we actually will play either Virginia Tech or Liberty. Okay, Virginia Tech is 14, Liberty is 18 in the country. So we're going to have to play one of those uh, first round of the playoffs. The way our, we match up with different divisions. And so if we're, say, Virginia Tech wins and we're first, we'll play Liberty. If we come in second, we'll end up playing Virginia Tech. So, um, what our what our really our goal to be in the season was we want to we've gone to the playoffs twice now. We got bumped the first round. We want to win a playoff game, and that's that's our new, you know, kind of making the playoffs is not, I don't want to say an afterthought, but that's that's kind of expected now. And then now what we're doing is we're 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 turning our eyes towards Liberty and we're turning our eyes towards Virginia Tech. So that's that's a, that's our main goal, you know, making sure we see lots of tape, making sure. These guys are in the right mindset, you know, and really, really going out and try to take it to one of the best teams in the country. So you talked, we talked a little bit about this earlier about the the future of lacrosse here at NC State, and, and a Division One team at the NCAA level seems a ways off. But what is your focus, and what is the coaching staff's focus in terms of progressing this team along and making them better? Well, we started with numbers. That was the biggest one. We were uh, the year before I came in. We were twenty three, twenty four team guy but now we're at 45 so uh numbers free talent i'll tell you you know numbers free competition uh guys will get better if they know they have to fight for their spot so and that's a big part of it um now we're now we're pushing up you know every year 60 kids come out to try out for the team and that's new that's you know so we're trying to we're growing with that and trying to get that as up as much as possible um and, you know, really running through fall ball and making sure everybody plays. We've actually come to the, kind of the point now where it's, we're having a tough time with scale. You know, it's very hard on one field to run a 50-guy practice. You know, and how do, what, what the heck do we do with all these guys? Only, you know, if you play the full field, 20 guys play and 30 guys stay on the sideline and watch. So, you know, so there's, there's, a, there's some challenges there. But, you know, really taking it to the next level is – you know, we're seeing more and more guys from North Carolina get recruited to other big schools, but we're also seeing more and more talent come here. Guys who have played for six, eight, 10, 12, 15 years sometimes. So, um, and we're also seeing a lot of out of state kids. We're seeing a lot of New York, uh, come down here, especially. So, you know, that kind of talent, uh, we try to encourage them as much as possible, but again, without scholarships, without, you know, a recruiting budget, things like that, I can't really, I can't really entice a, a stud from Manahasset or Hewlett or one of these schools that come down. Uh, without that that scholarship tag or something like that, so all right, Coach, we're getting there. Yeah, we've got time for one last question before we're going to let you go here. What is your plea to NC State athletic fans to come out and watch lacrosse match? It's not a well marketed sport in the area, although it is growing and the attendance has been on the rise, but. If you see a student out on the street who's questioning about coming to a lacrosse game, what are you telling them? Why should they be out there watching? You know, it's it really is the fastest game on two feet, and you could sit in the front row for free. I'll tell you that, right? You know, that's that's one of the great things about where we're at. You at, at our Method Road Field Complex. I mean, there's you know they've really done a nice job uh, with the facilities around there. We're talk we talked about we're getting some scoreboards, we're getting some. You know, you guys are out there filming. You know, they should they see all that stuff all the time. So, I mean, it really is. It's it's two hours. It's usually a nice day out, and you know, it's you won't be bored. You know, I I tell you, I've gone to a lot of baseball games, even some bad football games, and you know, it kind of drags. This does not drag. This they've actually they're they're doing every rule that they're changing right now to speed the sport up. You know, quick whistles, bringing guys in on the fly, like. It's fast, it's about as fast as hockey, so it's 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 pretty it's getting up there. So we we can't thank the you know the people who have come out enough. You know we we've got a nice core group of fans. A lot of kids from the local high schools coming out want to see you know the kids who are four or five years ahead of what they're doing. And you know really just a lot of local. I get a lot of emails just asking, hey coach, how much your tickets work? I say they're free. Come out and watch us. And you know we get 
sometimes we get fans just coming out of nowhere saying, you know, we'd love to come see it. So, yeah, it's definitely growing, and we're, you know, we, we'd love to have everybody out there. You've just been given the state of Wolfpack lacrosse by assistant coach Chris Demers. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much. On the other side, Chris Lehman and I will have a little bit more discussion about some of the revenue sports, a little baseball, a little softball. And, oh, yeah, we're just under five months away from the kickoff of another football season, and the spring game is on Saturday. You're not going to want to miss that. You're listening to The Howler. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company, handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome back to the Howard. You just heard from Chris Demers, the NC State men's lacrosse assistant coach. And Chris, very good insight from Coach Demers. This is a lacrosse team that continues to impress year in and year out and slowly but surely growing into the national rankings. And I've got to see them play a couple of times this year, once against Buffalo and then another time against ECU, and they've looked pretty good in both of those. So it's really good to see this team growing and, as you mentioned, becoming more prominent, uh, somewhat like this hockey team that we've seen here on campus. It's good to see that it's not just the Division One sports here where NC State is succeeding. So it's, it's great to see that. Oh, most certainly. But we will talk about the Division One athletics. And let's go ahead and open up that conversation. Let's go ahead and start with the baseball team. And this is a team that has been an enigma for Elliott Avent. This is a team that started out preseason top 10 and since then has sort of slid up and down in the rankings ladder. They go up to Charlottesville to take on the Virginia Cavaliers, the defending NCAA national champions of last year. And they take two out of three in the series. And what I was most impressed by is it looked like they got a lot better job done with the starting pitching, aside from uh, the day one starter. But they were getting five, six, seven, and eight innings out of their pitchers, which was tremendous. Yeah, and that's something that we've talked about that NC State needs. And you see the result. They get two wins against a quality opponent. And so that's what I think NC State is going to look for. The other thing you look at, you mentioned the only real rough start for NC State is that game one start. And even that wasn't too, too bad. It was manageable as NC State only gives up three runs over three innings from Johnny Piedmont. So not a bad start. It's certainly not the best of the weekend. And as a result, I think you take a look at the scores. Uh, NC State wins 8-7 to seven, and they end up losing 5-3. But the scoring that they're giving up is slowly coming down. They're not having to outscore opponents as much as they're looking to take a lead and defend now, and I think that's good to see. Well, I was intrigued to see just how well Brian Brown played as well because he went over eight innings, I believe the statistic was, and left his team in a manageable situation at one to nothing. but at the end of the day, it just wasn't quite enough as once he came off the mound, everything sort of fell off the wagon, but... Overall, assess this starting pitching for me, as now you've seen this might be the best that they're going to be able to do, an average for the weekend of 5.2 innings pitched. And they've got a few more games to go in this little set that they're playing. They'll play Charlotte on Wednesday and then take on Wake Forest at Doke. Uh, at, yeah, yeah. I, I promise I can get it out at some point today. But they will take on Wake Forest at Doke for another ACC set. So is this what you're expecting to see from the pitching heading forward in the season? Um, now nah, maybe when you look at Brian Brown, who goes seven and two-thirds innings and doesn't give up an earned run, you don't expect that every night. But that is one pitcher that I am looking to for NC State to really lean on a little bit, especially when they need wins in the postseason and in the ACC. We saw them do that a lot with Carlos Rodon. And, of course, Brown not as good as Carlos Rodon, but still a very, very good pitcher. And I think that's where you have to start is with – what I think is emerging as your ace at this point in Brian Brown. So I'd like to see that, and I think that's where you have to start. But there certainly still is plenty of improvement to be made. And you look defensively, NC State does have give up quite a few unearned runs. You mentioned Brian Brown's only run given up was unearned. Johnny Piedmont also gives up a couple of unearned runs, I believe. So there's some defensive things to shift around, but the pitching certainly is the base, and we've talked about that. When the pitching is good, NC State is good, and it showed this weekend. Well, my question is, is Ryan Williamson going to end up becoming a starter because he starts in place of Joe O'Donnell on Sunday and has a very good outing once again. O'Donnell has struggled and struggled and struggled, and Ryan Williamson gets the nod here on Sunday, goes good distance, and ends up getting a victory. Yeah, and... 
certainly I think that's something Elliot Avon is going to explore, that pathway, is whether Williamson will be a good starter or not. Because we had a similar conversation, if you remember, about Meredith Burroughs, uh, who came in and hadn't pitched at all for the softball team in her college career, has a great outing, and then she gets hit around a little bit as she continues to play. So that's something to watch because you look at it, and you're right. He goes six innings, only gives up three hits and two earned runs while walking five and striking out ten. Five walks, a little bit too much, and that's what one of the causes I have for concern is is that an issue with him going longer? Uh, I didn't see this game specifically and when those walks came, but if those are walks coming later, that shows you maybe he can't go quite as long and he, he just was able to this time. So that's something to look at. But when you look at that start and how strong it was, it's something to build off of. Oh, most certainly. And I would expect nothing less from this pitching staff moving forward is now I think you do have a nice little a nice little bar set of what the best is on your baseball team. And for Elliott Avent, that's got to be very encouraging. But let's go ahead and step off the hill, and let's go out into the field and talk about a couple of unearned runs that were given up. Joe Denand has a pair of errors on the weekend, and that's a little bit concerning when you have your shortstop doing that. But are we concerned about what's going on in the field for the Wolfpack and that they do allow a couple of unearned runs, or is there no cause for concern? It's just part of the game at this point. Not yet. If that becomes habitual, and I don't think it has really come habitual at this point in the season, then it's a problem. Right now, I mean, you look at Joe Dan's statistics and the way he's played this year. He's had a great year, and you know, sometimes you have a bad weekend. I worked for the Edenton Steamers last summer. They had a shortstop by the name of Evan Rogers, who was the best defensive player for the Steamers the year before. He starts the season off a little rough, bobbles some balls, and it looks like he may be shaky, but turns it around, has a solid year, and I think that's kind of what you see sometimes. As guys just go through rough spots, this weekend may have been a rough spot for Denand. I don't think it is at all indicative of what we'll see from him going forward. So I wouldn't make that a concern yet. If it becomes something that happens on a regular basis, then it's a problem. But like you said, errors are a part of the game. Everyone makes mistakes at some point, and I think that's what you see here. NC State makes a couple of mistakes. I totally agree with you. That's something Elliot Avent has preached is fundamental fielding, and there aren't a lot of errors that NC State commits, and there aren't a lot of earn, uh, unearned runs that they give up over the course of the season. And I mean, you just look at how fundamentally sure-handed they are in the field. Go back and look at some of the highlight reel catches from years past with Jake Fencher and Brett Johnson. I mean, the list goes on and on. And now you do have a solid middle infielder. I, I'm very confident in the Wolfpack baseball team as they stand out in the field so the best way I would sum it up is it's bloated unearned runs this weekend but not for the season and I I agree with you it's no cause for concern yeah and this team still has me a little bit shaky but you look at the past and, and that's what really concerns me is this team tends and a lot of NC State teams this isn't just baseball I think we see it and you know, it was an off year for basketball, but I would say this basketball team this year underachieved as well. And that's something they have to look out for. They were ranked in the top three and had a chance at repeating the College World Series appearance with Carlos Rodon and Trey Turner. And somehow, a team with as much talent as that team had, they didn't do anything in terms of what they should have done. So this is another team that I think has done that a little bit. And you see it in the rankings. They continually have been dropping and I think part of that is you have a lot of good baseball. They're playing a lot of good baseball teams, which is a reason that they've lost some games where, you know, if you play a different opponent and make the same mistakes, you don't necessarily lose. But consistency still concerns me a little bit. Now, you look at this past weekend, seven runs, then five runs, then two runs. That's a good trend. But again, you're giving up seven runs in that one. You give up eight against Florida State, six to Notre Dame in the third game, eight in the second game, six to UNCW. You're giving up a lot of runs in a lot of cases. And when you look at it, when NC State limits the runs, and it's somewhat common sense that you know if team scores less runs, you have a better chance of winning. A lot of people are going to say, duh. But that's the way it's worked for NC State. They don't always have the ability to outscore people even when they do have some power bats in the lineup. So it really is for NC State to me more of a defensive focus than anything else is is making sure that you can keep yourself in the game because in a lot of these games you look at where NC State loses, they tend to kind of play themselves out of it and and leave themselves too far behind. But this is what I will say. The series this weekend does sort of hemorrhage the problem of falling in the rankings a little bit because Virginia had risen up to number 14 while NC State was stuck at 17. 
And whenever you're beating a team that is ranked higher than you are, it's obviously going to look good on a record. And especially if you even look at building a resume for the NCAA tournament. Again, I don't think there's cause for panic right now because NC State is about to get into a very good measuring stick of how good they really are, hopping right into the thick of NC uh, of ACC play. The Wolfpack have always seemed to struggle in the non-conference, for baseball at least. And I think it's the nature of the sport. I think if you look and you say, they have five non-conference losses, seven, nine, whatever the total may be. The nature of baseball is, with the game, you're not going to win them all. I mean, in basketball, you've got a better shot. So I'm okay with the non-conference losses that NC State swallowed. Even going back to the Wilmington loss and the struggles they've had there, and you're going to see some more non-conference series against A&T. You're going to finish up the series, the the home-and-home home split with Charlotte. You're going to see East Carolina. I mean, those are important games, but if you're going to choose one to experiment and ultimately experiment and fail, you would rather it be in the non-conference because if you can play your way into an ACC regular season title or an ACC higher-seeded spot in the tournament, you're going to be absolutely okay. But you did touch on something that I wanted to talk about, and that is the batting for NC State, where you do have Chance Shepard and Andrew Kisner and Preston Palmero. And while they've all had good seasons, I don't think any of them have had great seasons. Chance Shepard started off white hot and has since then faded into oblivion. And is that a cause for concern for Elliott Avent? Because, like you said, if the defense is going to be giving up five to six runs per ball game, that means, obviously, and this is my, well, everybody's going to say, duh moment, you've got to be scoring somewhere between six and seven to win ball games. Is your offense good enough to sustain that type of scoring? I think when you look at it right now, not. And that's the problem. And you talk about experience, experimenting. I'm going to take a quick step back and take a look at this non-conference schedule again. And you look at some of these games. I mean, the one that really stands out to me is Wright State. You lose 10 to 8 and they give up 10 runs, but they give up a combined five in the next two. And they do that on a couple of diff- different occasions where they limit teams and, and they don't play as many series like they did against Wright State in the non-conference. But you play a couple of games and you limit teams and then you turn around and give up a ton. You look at the Boston College series as well, seven runs in the first game and then you limit them to three the rest of the way. So that's the consistency issue that I have a concern with and especially with series because I think NC State, to help themselves a little bit, needs to win or rather sweep a couple of series and that's a little bit of an issue and I think the batting certainly can help that out the last time I remember looking at Chance Shepard's batting average he was well above 300 he's dropped below that now and to be completely honest that doesn't all at all surprise me too much he had a great start to the season after watching him I thought he had become a very good batter and what it looks like to me now is he, he's let that success kind of get to him a little bit uh, like he did last summer when I watched him. And he's less patient. He wants that big ball. He wants that plate discipline with this team. Because I think when you look at the inconsistency on the map, Fairfield, they put up Actually, Fairfield, excuse me, not the right example, but you look at NC, but then, like you said, they go to Virginia, and this is a little bit farther down the line, so this team is a little bit better, but a little bit better team than Boston College. There's still some consistency issues in both places, and I think really making sure that you're hitting the right pitch. If it's a strike, you don't necessarily have to swing, If it's, but it's okay to take some strikes. If it's not the pitch that you're going to be able to hit, don't swing at it. And guys that have, have done really well this season are seeing that, I mean, you mentioned Chance Shepard is really rich, has fallen below 300 with his batting average. Preston Palmero and Andrew Kisner are hovering right around there. And in the major leagues, in, in minor league and professional baseball and just about any level, 300 is a good batting average. But if you want to be a good college team, if you look at teams like the North Carolina teams that were really good, and that's the one that I really remember taking a look at, uh, watching them over in Durham when they played NC State a couple years ago, and all the way down their lineup, aside from their last hitter, everyone was above 300, and at least half of them were above 400 in batting average, and that's where you have to be. Right now, NC State only has one person who's even sniffing that, and that is Steven Patara, and you look at how many at-bats he has had, he hasn't had the most, he played a good amount, but he hasn't had the most at-bats either, so... 
there's batting because you're absolutely right. And even if you look at great teams from the ACC, Virginia last year doing the same thing. Mike Fox has a good thing going over in Chapel Hill. Batting averages are up, and they're fewer team. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap up the discussion about baseball here by taking a look at, say, the Wake Forest set. Non-conference game against Elon on the road uh, is the kickoff. That to... game could be an issue. Well, I exactly. don't know why, but NC State at Elon is always a problem, and I am well, not sure why. Whenever you play, and I don't think anybody truly honestly realizes this, whenever NC State, North Carolina, Duke, and to a degree Wake Forest go to play in these non-revenue sporting events against in-state opponents, it's always a big deal. And that goes for UNCW, that goes for Charlotte, that especially goes for East Carolina. And I agree, that Elon game is monumental, I think, to be able to get over the hump. You've got an ACC series against Georgia Tech. Then you've got a series against North Carolina A&T, bookended by a home-and-home with East Carolina. And then you wrap out the ACC, Duke-Clemson game road stand, to me, is the biggest portion of NC State's schedule that they need to come out with a better than 500 record in those baseball games. And while that is still a ways away, a little bit over a month, it's still very big for NC State to win those games on the road, especially when you've got Clemson and Louisville, two of the top three teams in ACC baseball right now. And oh, by the way, then you've got to return home and tangle with the Tar Heels, who are ranked number 10 in the nation. Yeah, and I think you're right about that stretch with Louisville and Clemson. That is absolutely, to me, without a doubt, the toughest six games in a row for NC State because, like you said, those are two very talented teams. As a matter of fact, when you look at the ACC standings in the Atlantic Division, Louisville sits in second, Clemson's in third, and right behind them are the Wolfpack. So NC State needs to win those series. I'm not necessarily going to say that they have to come out with a record above 500. That's definitely what you want out of that. But if they can go 500 and win a series 2-1 to one and lose another one 2-1, to one, I think that is a win for NC State because you look at it, and yes, they're on the road against really tough opponents and to come out 500. And you have to look at the ACC as a whole when you're talking about that and any kind of postseason implications. And when you look at the overall record of ACC teams, there is one team that is at 500, which is Duke at 14 and 14, and one team below 500 in Virginia Tech at 10 and 18. Everyone else is above 500. This is a very, very good conference. So you have a lot of tough opponents. Those just happen to be some of your... Also don't want to look forward to that North Carolina series. I don't think this team will do that, but that's one that everyone likes to play and beat North Carolina here in Raleigh at NC State, so coming down the stretch. Well, let's step off of the big diamond and head to the baby diamond now where the Salt are about to break out of a slump, and then they head right back into it. I took in the doubleheader on Saturday, two ace pitchers, and then they're going to want to knock you around a little bit. Power hitting lineup on the edge of NC State softball. Look no further than Pittsburgh softball. And it was a big series for these two teams who are not separated by very much in the standings. And NC State needed to come away with a series win. Meredith Burroughs comes through with a walk-off single to get NC State the W in the bottom of the seventh, 6-5 in the first game. They dropped the second one 2-1 to one after giving up a two-run home run. And then on Sunday, things just don't fall together offensively again. They drop it 3 to nothing to Pittsburgh. The Panthers take the series back up to Pennsylvania. Chris, this was a real shot for NC State to try and climb the statistical ladder as if they had swept the series, they would have been able to catapult themselves back over North Carolina, who sits at 5-7 and seven right now in the conference. But that is not the case. They fall to 3-6 and six in conference play. They are sitting right on the bubble of the ACC tournament picture that, oh, by the way, is being held in Raleigh this year. But this softball team, for some reason, something is just not meshing. And you look on paper, and they've got some very talented players from the circle to the field to even the designated player spot. But something is not going right for NC State softball right now. What's your diagnosis? Oh. I don't want to take anything away from these girls because I do think a lot of them, and you look at the way that this team performed last year in making it to a Super Regional. There are a lot of talented girls on this team, but I think what we're starting to see 
is maybe they're not quite as good as we thought they were, and they had to lean a little bit more on Emily Wyman than we were realizing. Because to me, that's what you're seeing here. I think everything is kind of, all the pressure is kind of being pushed down the line. It started in the circle. Mirabella had some trouble, and when you don't get the pitching like you had, then the pressure falls down onto the bats to make up for that, and the bats aren't making up for it this year. And I think part of that is you lost some quality bats. Uh, you talk about Renata Davis, who I hardly ever remember watching not lead off a game for NC State with a home run. Uh, that's just a huge, huge bat to lose. And I think that's what you're seeing is NC State had a lot of really good supporting roles. And that's what you need to have a good team. You need to have good supporting roles. But the problem is... They have their supporting roles, and they're missing the lead roles. There's no one really who has stepped up offensively like Renata Davis did for NC State when they need someone to get the offense going. That's not there this year. A couple of times they do it, and I think that shows when you take a look at this schedule, about every series, about every three games, NC State's able to find their offense and get things moving and get you know six, seven, eight runs. You even look... Back to the series against Louisville, who's a very good team. One of those games, NC State puts up nine runs. They find that offense, but they don't have the pieces to be able to find that offense every single night, and that's the problem. For the softball team, it's a very interesting schedule and one that is not easy in the least. They will take on Elon on Wednesday at Dale Softball Stadium, and then they will head down to Tallahassee, Florida. The Florida State Seminoles consistently ranked in the top 10 in the nation, top of the ACC with only one in-conference loss. That is a very tough series to play. And for NC State, you almost expect them to keep good statistical standing. They need to find a way to, to take one off the Seminoles. Difficult. They come home for a doubleheader with Campbell. To me, the big ACC series that sticks out in my mind, though, is the one that follows that Campbell doubleheader when they head to Syracuse, New York, to play the Orange, because right now Syracuse is sitting two games above them in the standings. State needs to find a way to win that series to put themselves back up in the lower playoff picture for the NCAA tournament. Greensboro on the road, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, all of those ACC series, Notre Dame on the road. They're ranked in the top 20 right now. This is a difficult schedule. And you almost wonder, does NC State, having had hosted two tournaments at home, had not played many true road games, did that hurt them moving forward? Because right now, again, something is not gelling. If the pitching's there, the offense isn't there. If the offense is there, the pitching isn't there. And then you've got the issue of the field, as NC State has one of the higher unearned run totals in all the ACC. But it, you, all, you don't want to say it's too little too late. Because you can still put yourself in a great position in the conference and look to do something in the tournament with a nice standing there, but there's not a whole lot of room left to wiggle for NC State. They need to start stringing together some Ws. Yeah, and unfortunately, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do that. You mentioned Florida State. I mean, good luck. That's You're going into to a, a real fight down there, and NC State I think is going to be going in with hands up because that is going to be a tough tough series. If they can get one win out of that, I would call that a huge success, mostly because that still gives them a chance to make it into the ACC tournament. If they get swept by Florida State, I think you can just about kiss any postseason play for this team goodbye. Because like you said, that Syracuse series is going to be paramount for NC State because that's the team that they're battling with for that last spot in the ACC tournament. And for Syracuse, as I take a look down their schedule, they're at Virginia this weekend. So that's not nearly as tough of a game or a tough of a series as Florida State. They should at least get one of those, if not more, which to me, any game that Syracuse wins this weekend will put them one more game ahead of NC State in the standings. So I think the Syracuse series is definitely very important. This Florida State series is just as important because NC State needs to stay as close as possible. If they don't win the series against Syracuse, and I'm going to go out and make a couple of assumptions here, but Syracuse wins the series against Virginia. They take two more games on NC State, and right now they're just one game behind or ahead of NC State. That puts them three games up. If NC State loses the series to Syracuse, they're at least four games back now. So it becomes a very, very tough task. And if you're four games back with six to play, you're not in good shape, especially 
If you take a look at the Syracuse schedule, they have some similar opponents. Louisville will be tough for them at Louisville, but then they also have Boston College, and you need them to lose all of those games, and that's not going to happen. No, undoubtedly, this is a tough ACC to play softball in right now, especially for NC State. The good news is Boston College... Three and three right now at 500 because they are trailing a series with everybody else uh, due to a couple of weather delays, if I'm not mistaken. So not as much of a sample size to pull from there with BC. But if I'm not mistaken, NC State also has to tangle with Georgia Tech, who is below them in the standings. And yes, they do that. Both the BC and the Georgia Tech series at home, you can really start to build a resume there as well. But those those three series put together, Syracuse, BC, and Georgia Tech all look to be the the big money makers for NC State. And I, I'd love to be able to tell you that nine wins through those nine games is realistic. It's not. But the closer you can get to the more wins in those three series, the better you're going to be looking at standing. But for Syracuse, they can really, with their ACC schedule, play their way up and out of state's reach as well. And if they're going to be the last uh, tournament position... It, it does make you wonder what the uh, postseason hopes for NC State are. And, I, Chris, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's a lot of hope left unless you either win the ACC tournament or absolutely turn on the Jets here at the end. And even at that, if you've got to get somewhere between 34 and 35 victories, you're looking at almost winning every game on the way out here. Yeah, and I think at this point, everybody, including this team, kind of sees the writing on the wall. There's just too much work at this point to be done in order to turn this team into one that can really compete very, very well in the ACC uh, this year. There's certainly building blocks there, and I think that's the good thing. That's what you really have to look at at this point if you're NC State. Talking about postseason for them, it's almost not worth it anymore because the, the chances are so slim. Unless they can come back and surprise us, win a game, maybe two, by some stretch of the imagination down in Tallahassee and then come and win the series against Syracuse. It's not out of the question, but I think if you're NC State, you have to look at what you have now, look at what you're going to have next year, and figure out how to get what you have to fit as well as you can with what you're going to have. To me, that's all NC State has at this point is to make sure, because even if they do make the postseason, I I think most people would argue that they're not going to make it very far. So look at look at that. Don't look at postseason. Look at what NC State has because there is a lot there to be happy about and be hopeful about and go from there. Don't don't look at the postseason because if they do that, it's it's going to continue to send them in that downward spiral and, and that will not help anybody. Well, and the good news is they do return a lot of their rostered players, which I think is much to their advantage, especially when you've got Courtney Mirabella going into her senior year. Harley Hubbard will have another year of experience under her belt. And then you've also got Brittany Nimmo, who will be a sophomore. And when she's healthy, Nimmo's been on, especially as of recently. I thought she pitched very well against Pittsburgh, and unfortunately the mistakes she made uh, cost her dearly and her team dearly, and that is very unfortunate. But at the end of the day, NC State, for the future, appears to be in a good position. So let's step off the dirt completely and... Let's wrap things up here with a little discussion of the gridiron as we are going to have the spring game at Carter-Finley Stadium on April 9th. That's Saturday. Phillip Rivers will be in attendance, the NC State Wolfpack legendary quarterback, arguably the best quarterback to have ever come through here at NC State. Some might disagree with me, Roman Gabriel from back in the Riddick Stadium days, but that that's not what this show is about. One of the Wolfpack legends will be back here. This is a very intriguing spring game for me, though, Chris, because there are a couple of question marks, and I think most notably you want to see, is Jalen McClendon really as good as he's going to be billed at the quarterback position? You want to see what Johnny Frazier is going to look like again as he's coming off of the red-shirted season. Matt Days is going to be healthy come the regular season, but also you've got a couple of holes up at the safety position. You worry about your offensive line. The defensive front seven will have another year of experience under their belt. Not a whole lot of changes up there. A lot of critical points for Dave Dorn and his football team. What are you looking for out of the spring game? Well, you've touched on a couple of them for me. Running backs, not a problem. We There's a lot of them. And there are a lot of good ones, too. And a lot of them now have experience because of the way this last season panned out with Shadrack Thornton and Matt Days both missing big chunks of time. So I'm not at all concerned about the running game. I think that'll be great. You have guys 
in that backfield like Naheem Hines and Jalen Samuels who can come out of the backfield and make the passing game pretty good as well. Um, so and offensively, there's really, you mentioned the offensive line, a couple of holes to fill there, especially with a new quarterback. That is very, very key for NC State to make sure that Jalen McClendon is comfortable and ready to make the throws he needs to make. If he's not, we are going to see it. And it might not come out in the beginning of the year. And I think that's the problem for NC State football when you look at it. And we've talked about this before. It is really a bad, bad off or a uh, non-conference schedule, excuse me, when you look at it. Old Dominion, okay. ECU, potentially the toughest game for NC State on the road. William and Mary, not going to be a problem. Notre Dame, it's a non-conference game, but it's really not. They're required to play football games now against ACC opponents. The only reason they're not an ACC team is because it's just not by name. It, well, it, it, they're an, not an ACC team because they're Notre Dame, and they're responsible for putting collegiate football on the map as we know it. So. Exactly. So that game is going to be tougher, but that's the only thing that really strengthens this non-conference schedule. ECU's working with a new coach, so we'll have to wait and see how that turns out for them. William & Mary is opening day for NC State, or the, the opening weekend game, and that game is always a route. And, and Old Dominion, we've watched NC State run over them last year. So this non-conference schedule isn't going to tell you anything. So it's really key to make sure that you have Jalen McClendon in a comfortable position come Notre Dame time because this is not that's where the schedule really ramps up when you look at it Notre Dame Clemson Louisville back to back to back and two of those games are on the road in Clemson and Louisville so those aren't going to be easy games Boston College will be tough or won't be tough Florida State will be a tough game and anything from there on out can be could be a tough game as well so that is key, is making sure that when you get through the non-conference schedule, and it starts here in the spring game, and that's what I'm going to be looking for, is does he look comfortable? It's a little more relaxed situation, but you can still tell some of that, and that's what I'm really going to be looking for, is how comfortable does the offensive line make Jalen McClendon? I'll tell you what I'm worried about schedule-wise. That East Carolina game is the second week of the season, and it's in Greenville. And Scotty Montgomery was on that Duke staff that routed Dave Doran in his first year. Now, granted, there was not a lot of talent on that Wolfpack football team. We all know that. We don't need to go back and revisit that. But the strategy was still there. The implemented way Dave Doran coached was still there. And Scotty Montgomery has an inherent advantage coming out of the ACC and going to East Carolina. You know you're going to face NC State every three years by North Carolina state law. Big game for the Pirates and a chance for him to get that first big win in Greenville. They did have a young offense last year, and it's not going to be the Shane Carden days again. I can tell you that for certain. But you do wonder, early in the season, you get a lot of guys motivated, and NC State's got some youth on their roster as well. If you can get after a young quarterback, things can happen. That East Carolina game is worrisome. Notre Dame I'm more excited about than I am worried NC State has never lost to Notre Dame. We don't need to mention they've only played them once. But they've never lost to Notre Dame. And it's the 50th anniversary celebration of Carter-Finley Stadium. And I think Dave Doran takes that game very seriously moving forward because it's his first shot to get a marquee victory here at NC State. Yeah, the win against North Carolina a couple years ago, a big route, but that wasn't a great Carolina football team. It certainly wasn't the Tar Heels of this year. Big shot for him, and then you follow it up with that big shot against Clemson on the road. That's going to be a very tough game, especially considering who they've got a quarterback coming back. But I want to go back a week in front of that Notre Dame game as your ACC opener against Wake Forest. And don't think for a second that the Demon Deacons have forgotten what NC State did to them in Winston-Salem. I mean, I know they've not had the best of luck in Raleigh, but Dave Clawson's got a good thing going down there. And there are a lot of people in the Wake Forest constituency who believe he might be on the hot seat, this is the rivalry game for them. Wake Forest does not like NC State, and they pride themselves on being able to come to Raleigh and beat the red and white. That could be a major testing point moving forward into the difficult part of the schedule. The other thing is the uh, uneven cross this year is going to be Miami Senior Day here in Raleigh against the Hurricanes. Brad Kaya at quarterback, that could be a big game. It's the first time the Hurricanes have come in quite some time, and that's always an interesting game because NC State, for some reason, uh, 
has this little mini rivalry with Miami, it seems like. And that goes back to the Phillip Rivers days. And it's even carried over into some other sports, baseball and basketball, of course. And then, of course, you're going to go on the road and take on North Carolina Friday night in Keenan Stadium. So some big games, certainly, Chris. And, you know, we don't want to over-talk this too much because the spring game is coming up and we'll, we'll have a little bit more on our next episode. But overall... I'm quietly confident in this football team. I think they've got some good pieces in place, and I think that uh, maybe Dave Doran breaks the ceiling of 3-5 and five in the ACC. Maybe he goes 4-4 four and four or higher. Certainly, are they going to the college football playoff? No, I don't think so. But I think they've got a good opportunity to put themselves in position for a good bowl game and maybe get a little bit higher in the ACC. I'm a lot more skeptical about this team than you are. I don't disagree. There are a lot of potential good pieces and that's the problem and to me that's the problem with this nc state fan base not not just limited to your student body but just in general nc state fans get very very hopeful about recruits and don't message to wolfpack nation stop because it never works out <laughs> never I, I i go back to the the last one that i i recall not necessarily recall but the last one that that I remember having a, a, an experience with was Bama Adebayo. And I heard from so many people, he loves it here, he's going to yeah, come here, he's going to come here. But and you I know kept it saying, wasn't going to happen. But that's the thing. is, and It's always overhyped. And you're right. I knew he wasn't going to come. I kept telling everybody, he's not coming. And they still continued to believe he was. And I think that's what NC State fans need to realize is – I don't want to put down this athletics program because I think it is a pretty strong athletics program, but it, when it comes, at least to what I've seen in recent memory having with watching this football team and to some extent this basketball team, is they're middle of the road, sometimes a little bit better. And that is what I expect from this team because that's what I've seen regardless of the talent in most cases. So... There are certainly games that NC State could come in and upset. You look at, they have two great opportunities to get big wins at home, and that's usually where they get them. Notre Dame and Florida State, got to have one of those. But again, it's all potential right now. And I don't want to overhype it, but, because the potential is never as good as what actually no, comes out. No, and, and I agree with you there. But what I'm looking at from the potential side of things is they brought in Eli Drinkwitz as the offensive coordinator. They threw out Matt Canada, which was a great move in my opinion, because you just cannot play MAC ball in the ACC. And Dave Dorn is starting to realize that. Eli Drinkwitz, when he's got a quarterback who can throw, is very good coming from Boise State. And they air the ball out. And I think Dave Doran and I think Debbie Yao saw it. Where was NC State getting beat? Through the air, typically, with the exception of Louisville. But even in the Belk Bowl, Dak Prescott, throws it right over top of them. If you can take that style of offense and shove it right back in other teams' faces, you're looking pretty good. And when you've got a defense that now, while still youthful, has more experience, you do lose your safeties, but if you have the ability to get to the quarterback and you're not allowing the ball to get out of anybody's hands to begin with, you're in pretty good shape. And I agree with you. Middle of the road is a fair assessment. This year, I'm saying a little above the middle of the road. Again, I'm not crying this is an ACC champion team. I'm not crying this team is going to play for the college football play. That's not what I'm saying. I think there is a good shot this year that this team could fly under the radar and be subtly very good, especially if they're able to get a critical win at home. I guess the way I'll finish this, uh, my my final comment to, to NC State fans in terms of, of my line of thinking here is if you're going to take a look at it, at least from from what I've been watching, take into account everything that could possibly go wrong and then decide where this team is, is going to end up because they they are never where we think they're going to be. Everyone seems to imagine a, a perfect scenario and it never turns out. Just look at everything that could possibly go wrong and then make your assessment. Well, I'm willing to give Dave Dorn his chance because now this this is his proving ground. He's losing Tom O'Brien's players, and he's got the roster, and he's got the staff that he wants in there. So 
If it bombs this year, I don't think it will, but if it does, he will certainly receive criticism from this journalist, and I'm certain from the rest of Wolfpack Nation. But I do think there is reason for some optimism. Chris, any final thoughts before we sign off on this episode? Um, I'll, I'll, have, I'll piggyback along with that. I think you're right. This is the year for Dave Doran. If he doesn't have a good year, he's in trouble. So I think that will hopefully show in the way his players play as well. Um, because that will tell you what kind of coach, in terms of his relationship with the players, how how strong their bond and connection is. So that's something that I'll be looking for from this team this year. But they're going to have to play a lot hungrier than we've seen them play in years past. Well, the good news is, after the spring game, we are under five months away from the kickoff of the 2016 football season, and it should be very exciting. You have just been given the state of Wolfpack athletics from baseball to softball to a little bit of football. Signing off for Chris Lehman, I'm Drew Blevins. We hope you'll join us again next time. You've been listening to The Howler. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of Wolfpack Sports Television. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu slash sports. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com.